Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 106. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Back again this week to discuss 2013's Monsters University, the prequel to Monsters, Inc. We discussed that last week. Still can't believe that movie's almost 20 years old. I, it's, it's almost as hard to believe that this movie, at the time of this recording, is nearly seven years old. Because I remember seeing this trailer for the first time and being so excited for the movie and I feel like this like literally just came out within the last two or three years. Well I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my question for you is were you surprised to see them do a second one? No at this point I'm not really surprised to see Disney do sequels of anything. If you have a sequel to Mary Poppins nothing surprises me at this point. Fair point. I remember I kind of felt like any Toy Story sequel. Is it necessary? Not really, but you love the characters so much you don't mind, except for the fourth one. That does not apply to Toy Story 4. But um, with this one, I was definitely excited to see the return of Mike and Sully, and I was pretty surprised they decided to do it as a prequel instead of a sequel, and that we weren't going to see them grow. Well, I don't know that a sequel in the traditional sense would have worked as well. I don't think you needed to see much more of them. I think after that, it would have just been much of the same. I love the idea of the prequel. And and when we saw the trailer, I thought, oh, this is going to be the Pixar version of Shrek, where it's a lot of adult humor, because this is going to be Revenge of the Nerds and Animal House meets Pixar. That was at least what I thought we were going to be walking into when I saw the trailer for the first time. I think they had Andrew W.K.'s Party Hard was the song that they used yeah, underneath yeah, it. Yeah. It was a really clever trailer. It was, but was the movie clever? I don't know. We're going to find out. Let's jump right into the plot for Monsters University. We go back to school with a young Mike Wazowski who aspires to be a scarer after taking a field trip to Monsters, Inc., sneaking through a door to the human world and witnessing a scare. Throughout the opening credits, I mean his adolescence, he works hard and is then accepted to Monsters University, where he will be in the SCARE program along with his roommate, Randall. Yes, that one. On their first day of class, Dean Hardscrabble, a record-setting scarer, visits her latest victims, I mean her new recruits, and explains that the SCARE program is designed so that not everyone will make it through. Even students like James P. Sullivan, who have scaring in their blood, will need to work hard. Mike hits the books immediately, opting to study while Randall goes off to schmooze with the campus fraternities and is interrupted when a pig comes flying into his dorm room, followed by Sully, who has stolen the pig as leverage to get into Roar Omega Roar. The pig jumps out of the window wearing Mike's hat and a chase ensues through the campus. Mike catches the pig and his hat, but Sully takes the credit for it and is accepted into Roar, where they feel Mike does not belong. With unwavering focus and determination, Mike aces his way through the semester, confident he will pass the final scare exam. While waiting their turn to take the scare test, Mike and Sully's contempt for each other comes to a head, and during their altercation, they accidentally knock over Dean Hardscrabble's record-breaking scare canister, and she kicks them out of the program. Unwilling to accept his fate, Mike convinces Dean Hardscrabble to let him enter the scare games, a competition between the fraternities and sororities, and if he can prove he is the scariest monster on campus, then she will have to let him back into the program. The only problem is that none of the fraternities will have him until he finds Uzma Kappa, a small group of friendly monsters who don't even have enough members to compete until Sully joins and rounds out the group. 
After getting to know the Uzma Kappa members, Mike and Sully realize that regaining their place in the SCARE program will be more difficult than they thought, having to rely on the underdogs of OK. After getting to know the Uzma Kappa members, Mike and Sully realize that regaining their place in the SCARE program will be more difficult than they thought, having to rely on the underdogs of OK. The games begin, and OK loses the first challenge, but are saved when another team is disqualified for cheating. Uzma Kappa barely hangs on through the next series of games, but the team shows improvement when Mike uses his intricate knowledge of scaring to play to everyone's strengths and bring them together as a team. OK eliminates almost all of their competition and make it to the final round, facing Roar Omega Roar in a scare simulator competition. Both teams perform well and are tied until Mike makes the final scare and secures the win for Uzma Kappa and his place back in the scare program. While celebrating their win, the scare simulator goes off and Mike realizes that the settings have been tampered with and he didn't win on his own merit. Though he and Sully are no longer competitive with each other and have learned to work as a team, Sully wanted to ensure the win and change the machine settings to easy. Determined to prove that he is actually scary, Mike breaks into the Monsters U door lab and enters the human world, finding himself in a camp cabin where he is unable to scare the children so he flees into the woods. Sully, no longer wanting to rely on just his name and take the easy way out, confesses to Dean Hardscrabble that he cheated, just as Mike's breach is alerted to the campus. Dean Hardscrabble calls for the authorities, and while waiting on them, deactivates the door, but not before Sully goes through to save Mike. Mike and Sully reconcile and try to return to campus only to realize they are trapped and that the only way back is to power the door from their side with an epic scare. Working together, Mike and Sully terrorize the adults at the camp and create enough scream energy to not only return, but destroy the door. Though they prove they really are scary, Hardscrabble still has them expelled for the break-in and cheating, but was impressed enough with Uzma Kappa's performance in the games to allow the rest of the members into the scare program. Unsure of their next move, Mike sets his sights on Monsters, Inc., which was always the goal, and he and Sully get jobs in the mailroom and work their way up to join the scare team. So I want to go right to the beginning of the movie here and touch on something you talked about with the opening credits. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a great way to lay out backstory here and jump right into the action. I agree. Um, I like that they started with Mike. I thought that was a really smart choice to sort of pit him as the underdog but I feel like if we had seen that whole montage play out because we do see it once he gets to college how hard he's working how much he's studying to see him do that throughout his whole life I think it would have dragged a little bit and I like that they um I like the style of animation that they chose to do I felt like stylistically it sort of looked like a Mary Blair portrait yeah um, so I really enjoyed seeing that, especially because you haven't seen her work in animation in a really long time. I mean, you can see it, you know, like at the Contemporary Resort and it's very prominent in the parks, but um, it was just nice to see a throwback to that style. Um, I also think it was smart that they they chose to kind of flash forward with his growing up because once he gets to campus, um, most of the kids are being dropped off by parents and Mike shows up on his own. So I think that would have maybe raised too many origins questions if you had had parents throughout and showed him working hard with them through school. Or even even if they made it, um, I guess because they did end up doing this with Sully's storyline, um, 
having to prove his own worth. Like if Mike's parents were scarers and he wanted to do this because he wanted to follow in his father's footsteps, they kind of all put that on Sully. So I feel like it just would have posed too many questions from the jump for the audience. I agree. I think it makes sense that they put Sully in the the royal family of scarers because the fact that he walks onto campus and just doesn't care and thinks that he can strike his one pose and I'm a Sullivan and that's enough. I like that for him. Me too. Um, But I really like that they did decide to make this a Mike Wazowski movie because yes. the first movie, it is Mike and Sully, but it's very much a Sully and Boo movie. In this case, this movie really is about Mike Wazowski. So I thought that for them to do a prequel and to focus more on Mike, I thought was I thought it was an interest uh, an interesting decision, but I thought it was a smart decision because I like that what this is what so far this movie accomplishes is that you have two complete characters being fleshed out over two compl- uh, over two movies really. I completely agree with you, and I feel like this was such a natural. I don't want to say progression because we're seeing the prequel, but it does really lead right into the Mike and Sully we know now. Like Mike is kind of an anal retentive guy. So we see that almost in Monsters, Inc., it appears that he's lightened up since his college days. And I feel like that that was implied with Sully's influence and Sully's friendship. But you really start to see how that came to be now. Yeah. I love the glazed over look on Mike's face as soon as he returns from the human realm in the first scene of the movie where he decides he wants to be a scarer. That look on its own, because you know he does not become a scarer. So that look on on its own, I think, does a really good job of piquing your interest within the first minute of the movie. And I'm very much invested in it, you know, the first time I saw this at least in seeing where this goes, because ultimately you know that it's Sully that becomes the scarer and not Mike. Right. And again, that's where it's so interesting because you see how bad Mike wanted it. And I think that's perfectly juxtaposed against what you said, like Sully's just the Johnny come lately and he's, he doesn't feel like he has to work very hard. I think for that alone, it sort of answers the question that I posed before. Was it worth doing a prequel as opposed to a sequel? And I agree with what you said at the top of the episode that it it was a better extension of the story to set it back instead of seeing more of the same with the scaring. And I think something else or something else that also extends over from the first film, even though we're working backwards in the timeline is the world building. I think the world building in this, I'm not going to say it's as good as the first movie, but it is pretty close. I love the aesthetic of Monsters University. It made me miss my college buffet. Um, my waistline doesn't, but I do. Um, <laughs> I thought that it looked convincing. I thought that it looked traditional. It, to me, it, it, it was in, in their world, that's up on the pedestal of you know, the Notre Dames, you know, like in, in the Northeast here, everybody talks about Notre Dame and Penn state. And I feel like this is sort of equal to those schools when you put it in their world. I agree. I feel like they were going for a really classic Ivy league design 
but they still made it fun because it didn't feel as stuffy yeah as as that could be if you lean into that um the only thing is i sometimes i feel like it it definitely all looks of the same world but i kind of wish we knew where it was as it relates to Monstropolis. Like, is it just outside the city? Are they in the same state? Does the monster world even have states or is it just one thing? Um, So that I feel like as the audience, it just raised a few too many questions and it it almost took me out of it because I wanted to know more. That's what took you out of it? Really? That's really the only thing, yeah. All right. Um, how did you feel about them planting Randall as the geeky roommate? Perfect. I thought it was great. I think, um, I think if they had done Mike and Sully as roommates, that would have been way too easy. We've seen that a million times and they've already had their buddy movie. So you can't start them as best friends right out of the gate. And, and there's enough conflict between the two of them. I don't need to see them bickering, especially because once they get to the Uzma Kappa house, they, they do play that out. Um, but I especially like that instead of just putting any old monster in there, it is Randall and you start to see now that he's a total snake. Well, yeah. Um, it, it, it plays out a little. So now I don't, I disagree with you. He's a total snake by the end of the movie, but I don't think he's a snake at the very beginning. Oh, no. I would have liked to have seen a world maybe where they they were friends for a while, but they were... You did. It was called Monsters University. No, but I mean, they were barely friends for an act. They were roommates. They were acquaintances. But you already saw the rift develop between them because... Mike wanted to study and Randall's kind of ribbing him for it and he's going out. And that's what I'm saying. They're already planting the idea that instead of working, instead of studying, Randall is kind of like Sully and that he's going to take the easy way out and he's going to go and use his network to get ahead. See, now I disagree with you because I feel like, I mean, yes, technically they are not friends in the traditional sense past the first act but because this is supposed to show the passage of almost an entire year Mm -hmm. they jump ahead so many times that you're taking a three or four month span and cramming it into 10 minutes of the first act so for me it's sort of forgivable that they don't let it play out a little bit more plus i mean I feel like they did as much as they needed to do with it. They were roommates. They got along fine. I mean, yeah, they were they were different in that Randall wanted to go out and Mike wanted to stay in. But certainly they didn't have a problem with each other and they seemed to get along quite well. For the sake of keeping the pace of the movie going, it didn't bother me that they didn't sit there and play it out more. I do like, though, that it's Mike that helps him with his scares immediately because... Randall was afraid it was like when he would disappear it was like an escape for him because it was um it was like a nervous reaction right and it's Mike that says no you should use that that's perfect so I like the fact and it's immediately so I like that right away Mike is out there trying to help his you know future colleagues with becoming the best scarers that they can because it just means that much to him 
Right. No, and I do like that they show how good-natured Mike is in that regard, that he wants everybody to succeed just because he wants this so bad. Um, No, but you are right, though. I mean, while Mike and Randall are not besties, they do enough to set it up so that Randall is going to eventually stab him in the back. Yeah. You want to move forward to where we meet Dean Hardscrabble? Yes. Okay. Um... One of the few new characters in the movie is Dean Hardscrabble, and it's Her- Helen Mirren, and she's perfection. I mean, she's great in everything. She's always perfection, but, but she yeah, is love so good here. I l- so here's the thing. I like that they sort of set the stakes very high with her immediately, but the fact that it's Mike and Sully that knock over her scare canister... Um. I don't know. There's just something about me, or there's something about this to me that comes off as lazy. I don't love this as a setup for them getting expelled. Um, the fact that they're practicing and they're trying to outscare each other before they get into their scare final, and Sully trips over something, and the thing's wobbling back and forth, and they're waiting, 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 and it hits the floor. I don't know. There's just it just seemed like the easy way out to me. Yeah, I also feel like she played far too much of a role in the classroom. Um, and I mean, I get it. We're in the monster world. We're not a thousand percent going for realism. But maybe maybe I misspoke before because I guess this is another point that takes me out of it. I don't remember any Dean ever being so involved at college like my deans were more administrative than anything else and I do appreciate because I mean that that's something that I went through was a weed out program they they wanted to figure out very early who was actually going to succeed and push through and be able to graduate and work in the industry instead of trying to have to coach people through and that was a very hard thing to accept as a freshman so I I get what they're trying to set up here but I feel like it was a little lazy like you said to just do it so pass fail and to have her be almost a villain the way that she delivers everything like we know that she's an elite scarer we get it but I feel like if they were trying to save time just to set up that not everybody's cut out for the program, there were different ways that they could have done it. And I I feel like her crashing into the classroom on the first day uh, and just sort of laying it out like that, it it was sort of cheap. It was. And it led you to believe that later on in the movie that she was going to somehow fix the scare games to help the roars because you expect her to play some huge pivotal villainous role that never actually materializes. Right. And I almost would have preferred her to be more a part of the games and scrutinize the games more. So like maybe she was preventing them from, from competing in such a way that, you know, she didn't like the games on campus and, she didn't want to make a joke of scaring and she was trying to stop the games from happening and therefore stop Mike and Sully from, from getting back into the program. 
Um, what I do like though is when they break her canister, so she's in the room for the for their final exam. Um, she puts Mike on the spot and she asks him a question about scare theory, and then she asks him to show it, and she writes him off right away. Um, and again, I think that's too quick, too cheap. But with Sully, I like that she sort of really nails him on being lazy because when she asks the question, he not only gets it wrong, but she provides an explanation as to why it's wrong, but in the bigger picture of scaring that they could jeopardize the monster world. And I think that that was important. So for all of the flaws here, that sort of delivers on it and makes it okay for me. Yeah. So now we go into what is supposed to be winter recess. We come back and both Mike and Sully are in a class about scare canister design, which is which is hysterical because their professor says something to the effect of some people think that scare can design is a waste of talent. Open your books to page three. <laughs> he doesn't go on to, but let me explain why it's not. He himself is a sad sack who just accepts it, and they move on. So I absolutely love that. That's one of those things that we were talking about last week that the monster movies do so brilliantly, is that they can set up a little scene like this, make it entirely relatable, because we've all taken the college class. There's that prereq you need to get to for your major. So we've all been there. Um but they also put the clever monster touch on it to show if you're not a scarer, what other fields you can go into. And they, they do it later with the doors, too. So I thought that was really clever that we got to see not just Greek life on campus, but you really do get to see all facets of it. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Greek life, this all of this leading into the scare games and up to the scare games, it really does remind me of Pledge Week when I was pledging my fraternity. And it brought back a lot of fun memories for me. So I think that's a big takeaway for me from this movie is in spite of some of the sloppiness of it, that anytime I do watch it and I see certain scenes, it it reminds me of being a freshman in college and a lot of the things that I got to experience. And I would imagine that this is the case for a lot of people, um, in this movie, you know, as they go on to watch it. And I think that's why this movie sort of works in transcending the age groups. Um, but I like the fact that we come out of out of the winter break and basically jump right into the scare games here. What I really appreciate is even though the scare games are the meat and potatoes of the movie, they still set it up beautifully. They didn't rush us here for as much as we just said that certain things were cheap. I don't feel like we got three minutes of exposition just to get to these games, um, especially because the challenges are so clever and so creative. And I love that that's juxtaposed against rooting for the underdog in Uzma Kappa. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Hard Scrabble again for just a minute here because she does make that appearance at the games. We find out that she's the one that founded the games. And there's two things here I want to say. First, to touch on something you had said earlier, I don't care that she's 
Well, no, that's that's wrong. It's not that I don't care that she's involved. I think that she has too much power. I think yes. that when you compare this to Animal House, which might sound crazy, but I, it's the natural thing to do. Dean Werner had flaws that the Deltas could play off of that made the movie very funny. In this case, she's got way too much say and way too much power and basically, other than win the games, anything Uzma Kappa tries to do, she can just squash because she founded the games. I think that a way that she could have gone about this, though, in a Dean Wormer sort of way, because there's no real villain in this movie, it's supposed to be Roars, uh, Roar Omega Roar. Um, it, it's supposed to be them, but other than being mean... They're not really villains. It's supposed to be her, but she's not really a villain. If she would have had control over the games because she started them and they meant that much to her, and she was so afraid that these Uzmas were going to make a disgrace of not only her games, but also the university that she's a dean of, and she was throwing advantages to the Roars, that would have made, I think, for a better story and a better villain. But they don't ever do any of that. So to me, she just has way too much power the entire time. I agree. That does seem a little far-fetched that Mike and Sully's life almost is hanging in the balance of these games and whether or not they get back into the program. Yeah. And I also kind of feel like in her position, she sort of has to stand by her decision. Yeah. So it weakens her at the same time. Yeah, um, but I love Uzma Kappa. I love the brothers of Uzma Kappa. I love that it's in this suburban house and Squishy's mom is there. It's it's exactly what you think it's going to be when you see these guys on screen for the first time. Yeah, I mean, you know you're going to get a ragtag bunch, but I wasn't expecting the depth that they gave them. Yeah, as we move along here in the plot, we get to a scene where there is a house party and the Uzmas are there. And this is where you really start to see the Randall that you were mentioning before get fleshed out a little bit more. Right. And I think the timing and pacing of this scene was perfect because you're starting to see Uzma Kappa work together. You're starting to see Mike and Sully realize that they are going to be the ones to pull the rest of their fraternity through and that they realize they have to put their differences aside to work together. So it lures you into this false sense of security that they're really going to start pulling ahead in the games and that they're starting to be accepted and taken seriously. And then they go to the frat party. They have a great time. And I don't I don't think it was intended to be set up quite like Carrie. I think when they did get invited to the party, it was a genuine invitation, but Roar Omega Roar obviously ruins that when they set them up in the middle of the dance floor, they drop paint on them, and then Randall is the one who pulls, pulls the final ripcord and a bunch of fluffy stuffed animals fall all over them. Um, so immediately, like I said, I thought of the carry scene with the pig's blood, um, but the stuffed animals sort of deliver on it. It makes it different enough uh, but I also think it's important that it wasn't meant to be 
the, the intention was not to embarrass them. I, th- I think they're, they were supposed to be there, and it just goes to show that Roar Omega Roar is going to be the bully, and they're not going to play by the rules, and they're, they're not going to accept them no matter what. And now Randall, there, there's a line drawn, and Randall is on the other side of it. And that also starts to set up now this lifelong competition between him and Sully. Right, and that comes to a head later on in the movie. Right. It comes in in the last challenge. Before we get there, though, I want to talk about the second to last one, which is probably my favorite. The Avoid the Teen Maze. I don't know why this is hysterical to me. I I just enjoy the scene so much. It's pretty quick. But Daddy, I love him. (laughs) Yes. Well, that's probably why I like it is because of the Little Mermaid reference. But I just thought it was such a clever challenge to differentiate like what happens if you walk through the wrong door and find a teenager yeah i thought that was it's it was interesting because it served for comedic purpose but i also think that in a roundabout sort of way it also further develops exactly what they're trying to teach you at the school exactly again it's like the canister class where it's that very subtle world building um what I really like, I mean, the the last challenge is kind of a given where we see the scare simulator again. Um, I like how subtle it is that Sully sets up Mike to go last because I really wasn't expecting the reveal that Sully actually tampered with it. You, you know, you just think that, okay, the underdogs won, the bad guys got what was coming to them and we're going to move on and they're going to get back into the program, I think it's actually a really brilliant twist. I think it's a great twist. I think it shows that Sully did manipulate Mike. I like the fact that something that they planted earlier in the movie yes. came back around because they did they did plant the difficulty settings earlier on in the film. I like that that comes back around. And I think that the tampering adds a really dramatic layer to this because it's a dramatic layer for Mike and Sully together and also Mike and Sully with hard scrabble. I agree. Um, it, it really hurts. Honestly, every time we get to the discovery, no matter how many times I watch this, like I actually hurt for Mike because now they have established their friendship and they realize that they do better when they work together and they're going to succeed together. And it just completely knocks him down a peg that his, his best friend didn't have faith in him. And, um, I, I am surprised, you know, you think it's the end of the movie and, and they give you almost an an entire act after that, but it doesn't drag. It doesn't drag, but I think the ultimate failure of this scene is the very lame rivalry that gets set up with Sully and Randall. I I think that because Sully beat Randall in the scare games and Randall says, that's the last time you beat me, Sullivan, that that's where this rivalry from the first movie came from, where Randall is trying to cheat and he's trying to work off hours to get the scare record that that all came from this. It just to me, again, it's a little lazy and I think it's very, very lame. It's he seems like. He seems like a child that's holding a grudge because you struck out in the final Little League game. 
See, I actually think that's perfect. I feel like we all know somebody like that who holds on to the petty grudge. So I was okay with that. I wasn't okay with the cheesy line, that that like revenge line. I think that was taking it one step too far. But if they would have just left it as Sully beat him, I'd be like, okay, I get why Randall is so sour. Yeah. And I think that you feel bad for Mike here, but certainly I think the dagger comes in that final act when he enters through that door and goes into that that cabin to go scare the girls. And the one girl looks at him and says, you look funny. How many hits can Mike Wazowski take in five minutes? Especially because they've already done that at the beginning where, where he's this tiny monster and they're on their field trip and he can't even get to the front of the line to see something that he cares about so much and he keeps getting pushed to the back. That is driven home throughout this entire movie because they've been, you know, the teachers, the dean, they're all saying it and making him feel like he doesn't belong. But when he has that moment of self-discovery, ouch. Yeah. Um. So there's something else that stands out here because we're basically at the end of the movie here. Mm-hmm. Um, other than Worthington, the, nobody that gets planted in this movie other than Randall, Mike, Sully, and Worthington of all people makes it over to Monsters, Inc. And I kind of thought we were going to see more of the characters from the first movie. No Celia. You know, she wasn't like the girl that he couldn't get in college. I I was waiting to see more characters from the first movie get planted here. Or maybe somebody that was a successful scare in the first movie, somewhere they get planted as an Uzma and they had a relationship before then because now we're at the end of the movie and it's it wasn't until this week that I realized almost nobody from this movie is seen in the second movie in in the first movie but in the timeline it's the second movie well we do get Roz we see Roz's beginnings the CDA comes when Mike and Sully are trapped on the other side of the door. That's why Dean Hardscrabble deactivated it, which also, again, too much power. Yeah. I think that was in really poor taste. Why would she trap them there? Exactly. If, she, if, she's ex- if she's scared of exposing the monster world, why did she leave them there to be exposed? Exactly. Um, so you get Roz, but I was actually okay with not seeing a lot of familiar faces. Um I think, you know, this This is not like Toy Story where we need our core group to, to keep going on adventures and keep telling the story. Um, I also think it would have been a little stagnant to keep seeing the same people here, especially because, I mean, think about it. Realistically, how many people have you worked with that you went to college with? I've had... I I can say maybe two or three that I've been fortunate enough, but I also work contract to contract. So the odds of getting somebody that I went to college with are a little bit bigger because it's always changing. Yeah. So I I can live with not having everybody eventually make it into Monsters, Inc. Yeah. Do you have anything else on the plot or the story here? 
The only thing that I really don't like is that final scene with Hard Scrabble at the end where Mike is getting on the bus and Sully calls him back off. First of all, I think that takes way too long. The bus is just waiting and they're having a full-blown conversation and then Hard Scrabble comes. Um you know, she gave them that final best of luck speech. Uh, she lets them know that she was so impressed by the rest of Uzma Kappa, she let them back into the scare program. So I was kind of like, what was the point of telling Mike and Sully that if she's not going to change her mind and let them back in? Because honestly, I thought that that's where it was going. And I think that would have done a disservice to the entire film. Um, so I do like that it ended with them taking matters into their own hands and not not even finishing college, just going right for Monsters, Inc. and working their way up. And I, I definitely respect anybody who works their way up from the bottom. Um, but I just kind of thought, you know, that one last, like you said, she's got too much power. You did something that nobody, I thought nobody could do. You surprised me. And what? So they, have, anyway. they have your respect. They're still gone. Yeah. Um, I think that this movie had a great cast again, much like the first film. Um, but I, I just wish they would have done a little bit more with it in the plot and the story because for as much as they did well, there are a lot of things that are sloppy. I mean, going down the list here, of course you've got Billy Crystal, John Goodman, and Steve Buscemi. But you've also got Sean Hayes, Charlie Day, Helen Mirren we mentioned earlier, Alfred Molina, Aubrey Plaza, Bobby Moynihan, Bonnie Hunt, John Krasinski, Bill Hader, John Ratzenberger. I mean, go down the list. This, on paper, is maybe the best ensemble cast that you've had in a Disney animated film. And the plot does leave a lot to be desired in certain places. And I think for that much, yeah... it it could it could have been a lot better than it was just on the surface. I agree with you. I don't think they squandered their talent pool because it seems to me like everybody loves Monsters Inc. so much that when they announced the sequel, it, it seems like actors and actresses were beating down the doors to get in because you've got such big names in bit parts. So to your point, you're right. You read down that list and you're like, wow. That's a name. That's a bigger name. But I really have to think about who their character is. Like when you're watching the movie through, you'll recognize a voice. But because they have such little screen time, even the Uzma Kappa members don't get a lot of screen time. I really have to to think about who the voice actor is. Like Charlie Day stands out in anything. Um but even Bill Hader, he's recognizable. Same with Bobby Moynihan. But I have to go back and look up who they portrayed. Right. But anyway, that's now that we've wrapped up the plot here, let's talk about the music. Because you mentioned Toy Story a couple of times here, which I think is the natural thing to do, especially when you have music by Randy Newman. Because they brought Randy Newman back again. I absolutely love the score here. I love the, again, it sounds like a college, you know, rally song. Yeah, the fight song. The fight song. 
Um, I never went to a college that had a real football team. Uh, the closest thing I did was I spent a year at Hofstra, but saying that Hofstra had a real football team was a joke. Um, and now they have no football team. So we never hey, had a... F- hey, don't hate. I was in the pep band. I was playing that fight song. For who? Ouch. For who? Well, no, actually, when you when you were a, a student there, I think Marcus Colston... Yeah, football was actually really big when I was when I was there. Not big enough. Not after Colston. You should have stuck around another year or two. So, um, no, I was fine leaving. Um, I never had a real uh, fight song, but I, I, this sounds like a fight song that they've been singing at college football games for 75 years. Yeah, I actually think this score is better than Monsters, Inc. I agree. This is definitely the better one because it's not just um, the fight song. I mean, I love that, but even when um, they're going through the scare games... It's it's reminiscent of Toy Story because you get that sort of carnival music, like when you think of Midway Mania. Um, but it does feel slightly more mature than that because it's college and and not children's music. But sure. I think I think it's brilliant. I think it's classic Randy Newman, but reinvented uh, in a perfectly appropriate way for this movie. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else here before we jump into our final review of the movie? No. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll lead off here. Um, I said it before. I think that for as much as they do right in the movie, I do feel like a lot of the mistakes that they made were not even so much mistakes in the filmmaking process so much as they are weaknesses in the script and weaknesses with either underdeveloping or overdeveloping certain characters. I think they tried way too hard with Randall. Um, I think that the teaser is better than the actual movie. I thought we were going to get something that had a little bit more adult humor. Um, I understand it's a Disney movie, but I mean, Toy Story does a good job in every film of planting jokes that are ahead of, that are above the heads of kids. And I really thought that's what we were going to get here. It didn't really happen. And I think that overall the movies. Okay. I don't think it's nearly as good as monsters Inc. I think as far as a sequel goes, it's fine. I don't think it does anything egregious. It's certainly not a Toy Story 4, but it's just okay. And they're okay. And they're okay. Um, I disagree with you. Um, you know, I don't know what I was expecting as far as the adult humor, because did I think I was going to see Mike and Sully doing keg stands? No. Um, although the trailer, I think, did lead you to believe that you might see a little bit more partying, yeah. a little bit more of campus life in a different way that they did it. Um, but for me, I, I think it's a great prequel. Um, I am, you know, I, I questioned it when they announced it, why it wasn't a sequel, but I think this was the perfect way to go. I think that this was the perfect way to develop the characters more and give us more insight to the characters because really it's like you said what else could you do like 
it's not going to be like Toy Story where the toys are following Andy as he grows up. We can't follow Boo. We can't keep going back into the human world. They can't develop a friendship. Although the end of Monsters, Inc. sort of leads you to believe that that's what it's going to be because they fix the door and Sully goes in again. So I'm sort of glad that they didn't pick up at that point. And I think you left the door open, pun kind of intended, uh, if they wanted to do a third one, maybe that's where you go with it. Um, but I, I love what they did with the characters. I love what they did with Mike and Sully's friendship. Um, again, I, I love the world that they created. Um, and despite some of its warts, I, I think it's on par with Monsters, Inc. Not like you said, it's, it's never going to be as good just because they knocked that one out of the park. Um, I think this is a better sequel than than uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Oh, I disagree. I think Ralph Breaks the Internet is the better sequel. Let me ask you this before we throw it out to our audience here. Should there be a third Monsters movie? <sighs> For story, no. I think we're done, and I think it would be a reach. But if you told me we're getting more Mike and Sully, I'll be like, all right, right on. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Do I necessarily think we need it? No. Do I necessarily want it? No. But when the movie theaters eventually reopen, and they will, uh, I would be at the 10 o'clock Thursday night advance screening of the movie. For sure. But we're interested to know what you have to say about Monsters University. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News this week is coming up in just a moment, but first a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. News this week, it would appear that eight more countries are getting Disney Plus this week. Disney Plus is being made available in Portugal, Belgium, Finland, Iceland, Luxembourg, Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. And I know that we do actually have listeners in those countries. So, hi. Hi. Uh, you guys can finally catch up with us. Uh, I appreciate that you guys have been listening without the benefit of Disney+. Plus. That's great. But now you guys can really dig in and, and get some of those back catalog uh, films that we've talked about, some of those decoms that maybe you haven't seen before. But those are the eight countries adding on and and you're looking at nearly 61 million subscribers. Wow. So please, if you do get Disney Plus in one of these countries, let us know what you think of it. Definitely watch The Cat from Outer Space in particular. Let us know about that one. And, or or uh, Escape to Witch Mountain. Or Escape to Witch Mountain. Or Halloween Town. No, but I I I would love to hear some thoughts now that now that this bed. door is unlocked for Disney Plus. Yeah. Um you guys are going to have a blast with it. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. We always have a blast with you. 
and and we had a good time talking about this movie. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. You can always email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. And of course, monorealradio.com has every episode of the show uploaded there, or you can subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to head over to iTunes and uh, leave us a review because we love seeing your reviews. We love hearing from you and we love interacting with you. We will be back next week for a little fun and fancy free. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.